0: And the night has come Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Creesman and on this episode, my brother Ira and I continue our conversation on cynicism in Final Fantasy, but particularly how that relates to the expanded universes and spin-offs of which there are many, many in the series world do our best to get to as many of them as we can. One note that's important that I think would have become clear, but want to make sure is there for everybody up front. This was recorded before the release of Final Fantasy VII Remake, just so you know where we were at in the timeline, so none of that is confusing for you. So let's talk about expanded universes, remakes, re-releases, sequels, do-overs, do-agains, all that kind of stuff. What cynics might largely categorize as nostalgic cash grabs, at least the majority of them in that way. I think we might even agree that some of them are, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in general, let's try to break down as many of these as we can, because cynicism often rears its ugly head when it comes to this particular topic which was not a problem with the Final Fantasy series early on but has become one especially more and more since Hironobu Sakaguchi left Square and I think it's something where a lot of people have become it's become a point of contention for a lot of people who don't like the direction that the series is going in that they milk their popular titles way more than they need to Starting with their Final Fantasy VII compilation when they decided it needed a movie and a shooting game starring Vincent and a prequel game on the PSP and a mobile phone game that never came out in the United States and an anime that explained the Nibelheim incident and now a remake Final Fantasy VII, there are a lot of people that are cynical about the game itself who can't even bring themselves to enjoy the original, as we've talked about before, because it has become the poster child of taking something that's popular and then just exploding it into all of these other properties that you can make money on.
1: So is the question then, is compilation of Final Fantasy VII a worthy expansion on this piece of art or is it a cynical cash grab like who's being cynical the audience or squeenix is that the question
0: right it okay. is, and and it's a very fine line. It's like I was talking about with music. If you're not willing to give it a li- listen, not willing to give it a playthrough, a fresh look without going in mad already that, oh, they're releasing it in multiple parts like people did with Final Fantasy 15 You're already mad. You're already not happy about this thing, and so you're not giving it a fair chance. Or, okay. oh, they only released this movie, Advent Children, because they're trying to make money, so I'm going to sit here with my arms folded and, and be mad about it the whole time. If you legitimately give it a chance then arrive at the conclusion that this thing is really bad independently as we talked about. Proof is in the pudding. Then okay. I think you can arrive at the conclusion that Square Enix is being cynical and I think we have one example
1: one very did, clear example of them doing the this. So with regards to Final Fantasy 7 in particular, I, of course, I can only speak to my own experience, but I was one of those people who, when it started to get, when the buzz got big in the U.S., I was in high school, I had had my experiences with 6 and then 4 and then, or Mystic Quest was first, and then 6 and 4, and one had sort of been first, but I didn't understand, and then I, I started to really understand what was going on, and as I was a fan of Final Fantasy, and a few people who I was friends with were also fans of Final Fantasy, most of them weren't, most of them didn't know and then Final Fantasy 7 was announced and it was going to get almost a simultaneous release and not really it was still a year away but it was going to be released big on the PlayStation and and it had this big marketing push and suddenly everybody knows about Final Fantasy and I was the guy going yeah but I knew about it years ago and I don't know if I like this and what happened to my 2d sprites but of course I still wanted to play the game so I've, I've already told the story about driving out the to Toys R Us and, and sneaking the thing into the place and you and me playing all night. But I came around. I, I certainly started from the place of cynicism, but I also really wanted to enjoy it. So I let myself play the game, free, trying to free myself from all of that. And from the opening scene, I, I was able to dispel much of that cynicism and just let myself enjoy it. And it turns out to have been a, a quality piece of work. As for the compilation in general i again at first i thought we don't really need this advent children movie vincent in a shooting game i guess could be good so obviously i was flipped on what ended up being better than the other but i do think that and I'm, i don't know it all you know it more than i do so you'll have to you'll have to lead the rest of this part of this discussion but i do think from the bits i've seen i like advent children uh, i like the idea of dirge of cerberus I, I, I like the idea of Crisis Core and the uh, watching the cutscenes on YouTube, I thought was really interesting. What do you think? How does compilation of Final Fantasy VII stack up on this question for you?
0: Well, to first address your point about the broader cynicism in Final Fantasy VII, this is something I've said before and again, we put this out on the Twitter and got some great responses, but people that are cynical about Final Fantasy VII in general are the same as people who are cynical about, like, William Shakespeare. And I'm not necessarily saying it's on that level. I'm saying you're trying to be cute, you're being a contrarian, you're denying an undeniable great because you think it's overrated by people you don't like to be direct. I think that what has happened with Final Fantasy VII, as we said on Twitter, is that it's been called overrated so often that it's become underrated. It, it is a vastly important game in the history of video gaming, and there is a reason that it is now turned into a compilation. So, to extend that analogy into your second question, I'm going to say that Final Fantasy VII is a lot like The Beatles, in the same way that it's like Shakespeare. It might not be everybody's cup of tea. And a lot of people still, to this day, look like, at the Beatles are so overrated. Why does everybody say the Beatles is the greatest band of all time? People say the same thing. Why do people say Final Fantasy VII is the greatest RPG of all time? Well, there are a lot of reasons why both of those things are true. But if it's not your cup of tea, fair enough. To deny its greatness is to inherently be cynical, though. It's true about both the Beatles and Final Fantasy VII. The compilation of Final Fantasy VII is Wings which is not Paul McCartney's (laughs) band. Keep going,
1: keep going, keep going. Paul McCartney's
0: band, in case you guys don't know, Wings. It's not all Beatles stuff, but it's very Beatles-like. It's not quite as good as the original, but it doesn't ruin anything about what the Beatles did, and it's a lot more great stuff by some of the people who were responsible for bringing you the original Great stuff. That is my analogy for (laughs) the compilation of Final Fantasy VII. I agree with your assessment that Advent Children is pretty to very good. I admit that there are certain things they clearly did that they never intended to with the story to begin with. Bringing back Sephiroth is not something you would have done you know, if you weren't just like, well, are people going to like this movie if he's not in it? I'm fine right. with that conceit. Right. Again, that's cynicism. Knowing that doesn't have to ruin the fact that that battle is awesome. And, right. <laughs> you know, well, and it,
1: it's it, he doesn't come out of nowhere. It builds upon our previous understanding of Genova cells and clones and so on.
0: Right, it at least is built into the story. So you may say, well, they put him back in there for cynical reasons, and that may be true. But again, if you, you've got to be able to point to the thing and say it doesn't work, and I think it does. I think, I mean, I really love that film. I love it a lot. I think *Dirge of Cerberus* airs a little further to the side of. This is not well made. In fact, it needed some patches before patches were even a thing. So, it was they, they needed to fix that game after it was released the first time. It's an incredibly derivative shooter. It's not necessarily broken, but compared to other shooters, its mechanics, there's just nothing new or particularly interesting about it. It's pretty bare in terms of its customization. The story is somewhat interesting but to me doesn't really do much until the final act and really only introduces one or two characters into the story that I I find interesting that Sviets uh, for anyone who knows in that game uh, who show up in World of Final Fantasy in an interesting way Shelky Shulk, I'm not sure how you pronounce her name. Really interesting right. character. I like that, but beyond that, I would rate that pretty low on the compilation. Crisis Core is awesome. We'll have a whole conversation about that at some time. People love that game as well. They should. I think Zach is a little overrated because of that game. That's a whole other conversation as well. <laughs> but the other thing that isn't talked about a lot, and anyone who is listening to this, I would assume you've seen it. If you haven't, you can find it on YouTube. It's really easy. It's called The Last Order, which is just like a 20 or 30 minute long anime that goes over the story of the Nibelheim incident and tells it in a slightly different way than it is told in the original Final Fantasy VII and in a slightly different way than it is told in Crisis Core. And I think this gets at the very heart of the conversation we've been having, going back to all of the cynicism, is that Some people would look at that and say, logical inconsistencies, inconsistency. It had to have happened one way. You're not doing it right. You made a mistake. This isn't my version of the story. You, again, I'm looking behind the scenes and saying you messed up, as opposed to recognizing that Maybe there is no one clear. We're getting this incident from different people's faulty memories. Uh, They do this a lot in Game of Thrones, where they'll tell a story from the past, and it turns out that maybe that story has been influenced by the people telling it. And it's not exactly what we think it is, because that happens. And so, if you approach that with cynicism in the entire compilation of Final Fantasy VII, I think, yeah, you're likely to see it as something dragging down the rest of it. But ultimately I'm very positive about the potential for the remake and the ability to get these characters and these stories to these kids today, to to anyone who didn't have an opportunity to experience it in its original form, because as great as it was for the time, it has not aged well, especially in terms of its character designs Uh Um, uh and to see it in all its glorious 3d form for a new audience. If done well, it has the potential to be revolutionary all over again. I truly believe that.
1: Another expansion of the Final Fantasy franchise came in the form of Final Fantasy Tactics. It's not a numbered episode in the series. It's got its own sort of side story. And then it expanded. Final Fantasy XII sort of jumps into that world. Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and Advance II are kind of maybe in that world. So it's got its own cosmology going on. Even so, it's still connected to the numbered Final Fantasy series in the form of Cloud, who shows up Perhaps out of the stream, Maybe it's a version of Cloud? Certainly he seems to think he's that Cloud, but who Cloud thinks he is has been one of those strange things, strange, wonderful, amazing, interesting parts of that story, because he's so often not quite correct. Final Fantasy Tactics I don't think was any sort of cynical cash grab by the Screenix folks. I think it was an attempt to try a different kind of RPG, and I think it was extraordinarily successful. I think having Cloud in it was maybe cynical, but I thought it was fun.
0: Right, so this reminds me very much of something that's going on that is a debate amongst modern moviegoers. The expanded multiverses of DC and Marvel and some of these monster movies and this problem, and I've got a lot of friends who you know didn't grow up with this stuff and their problem is essentially this. I don't like having to go to a movie and... It's required that I've seen this television show and I've seen four other movies and you're just trying to get me to buy all of this other stuff so that I can be up to date on what's going on and you're forcing me to know all of this other stuff and I don't like that. I understand that pull and I do think that there are times that happens, but my first response to that typically is to say well one you really don't always have to know all of. like it's okay to not know everything and i oftentimes think about final fantasy tactics and final fantasy 12 in this regard i never played vagrant story and i never finished tactics advance 2 or battle ogre and so there's parts of the Ivolus Alliance that are left out for me. And would they like me to go buy their other properties and give them my money so that I can get the complete story? Yes. And maybe one day I will do that. But to use that information to then reach the conclusion that Final Fantasy tactics is not a quality piece of art is, I think, obviously and patently absurd. Like, that game's quality speaks for itself. Of all the games in this franchise, it's one of the very few that... Even people who don't like the series praise Final Fantasy Tactics. And so, just because... It exists in this universe, like the Marvel movies do, where, like you were just talking about, Cloud shows up, you know. If you weren't watching Agent Carter, then there was that scene in Age of Ultron that probably right. didn't mean as much to you as it yeah. did to me. And that's okay. Going back to the, hist- the the most ancient pieces of literature we have, allusions to other pieces of literature are okay and so if you don't know you don't know and that's too bad but if you did know who cloud was that was a super cool little moment for you
1: i wonder if that carries over to the most recent beauty and the beast movie where she mentions two lovers in verona but she doesn't say romeo and juliet do you think that's a similar idea it's an illusion like you were just saying do you need to know what she do you need to know romeo and juliet specifically or can you just understand that this is a love story referencing another love story sometimes that's enough
0: Exactly right, and I think that that's perfectly fine, but I think people often reach the conclusion, again, beforehand that if it's necessary for you to have watched something else, then you're trying to get me to buy two things. Right. And well,
1: part of my response to that is if whether or not something is a cash grab, even if it is, you don't have to buy it.
0: Right. And the other thing as an artist who never made a whole lot of cash on, on his art, if you want to continue (laughs) to experience decent art, you're going to have to pay for it. And so they're all out there trying to make money. You know, that's, that's just a part of the equation. If they can't make money, they can't keep making their art. They won't keep making the games. So yeah, of course they're trying to sell you stuff. There's nothing inherently wrong with that either. And in fact, one of the things that I think blows this whole argument, like across anything, anytime somebody brings up the word cash grab, I think the best example in existence for me to just go to, I could just say two words. Kingdom Hearts.
1: Yes, Kingdom Hearts. That is, in fact, the next entry on our little list here of Expanded Universe Final Fantasy things. Because while it's not a Final Fantasy game, it is clearly... Linked to Final Fantasy, and I can't speak to the motivations of the people who decided to do this. I don't know that it wasn't an attempt to cash in on nostalgia, but it's still a fantastic game, even if it was, and a really cool series. Though so I have not played every entry in the drop down Dream 365 something <laughs> yeah. title right. titleness, but I dug Kingdom Hearts, I dug Chain of Memories, I dug Kingdom Hearts 2. I don't understand everything that's going on behind the scenes, but that's okay also. I see this as a quality piece of art, even if at its outset it was an attempt to cash in on an overlap of nostalgia.
0: Right. So we've talked before, one of the things again on my list is about recognizing the difference between objectivity and subjectivity. And while I try to make strong arguments about objectively sort of qualifying some of these games and, and their quality most of that conversation still is subjective. I admit that. So the quality of Kingdom Hearts could still be ultimately subjective. What is objective is the number of original properties that came out of Kingdom Hearts. And so while it would be easy to say, oh yeah, Final Fantasy, Disney. They're just trying to make money on people who are fans of Final Fantasy and Disney. This gets back to our proof is in the pudding thing, because if that were true, then what you would have is a game with just Final Fantasy characters and Disney characters slopped together, rehashing the stories that we've already seen from those characters. What we have is a story of Sora and Kairi and Riku and Organization 13. And all this complicated, the one thing that Kingdom Hearts is known for is being remarkably complicated. Some people would yes. say convoluted. And if the goal, theoretically, the goal of a cash grab, I disagree, I'm i with you, I disagree that it's convoluted. But that's usually one of those key buzzwords for me when someone's being negative about something that I like it. Somebody says it's convoluted, I'm probably going to like it. Um, <laughs> So, inherent in the idea of a cash grab, I think, is laziness on the part of the artist, of the producer of the thing, that you're not really putting that much effort, right? You're just slapping right. a name on it. Disney, Final right. Fantasy, let's get the money. Kingdom Hearts might be the single most complex plot in video game history, so it's clear they weren't oh, and they just haven't even mailing finished it. it in. Yeah,
1: and they, yeah. they haven't even finished it. There's still a lot to be understood and explained, and maybe some of it won't even be explained. One of the other things that I think about Kingdom Hearts is that the way they combine the characters, themes, ideas, aesthetics of the two is is really interesting. It makes a new thing. If you were to try to, for example, crossover uh, X-Men, and ninja turtles or whatever you you could just put those characters one of them into the other world or or vice versa and have new york still look like new york and have the foot still like the foot and you know the x-men still look like the x-men and so on but that's not what kingdom hearts does it makes riku and sora and kairi look like their own thing but then when they go to world a they look like characters out of that world they go to world b they look like characters out of that world Goofy and Donald, they look like Goofy and Donald, but they look like Kingdom Hearts Goofy and Donald. They don't just look like regular Goofy and Donald. The characters out of Final Fantasy, Cloud looks like Cloud, but he looks like Kingdom Hearts Cloud. So they really went to that extra effort to make Kingdom Hearts, while it's drawing on all these other things, it is its own thing. And that, in some ways, contrasts with another one later on the list, World of Final Fantasy, but we'll we'll compare that, I think, when we get to it.
0: Yeah, I think ultimately, though, Kingdom Hearts legacy is just one of the best examples of a reductive argument towards cynicism. Anytime you reach the conclusion that something is bad just because creators made it with nostalgia and, you know, even themselves cynicism in mind, like you said at the beginning, even if Kingdom Hearts was made entirely with the idea of we're just going to print money because people like these things, the proof ends up being they created something really good and remarkably complicated and original, something unique in the world of gaming, which is difficult to do. And so even if it was a grab for your cash, it was a quality one, and that doesn't make it a bad thing.
1: Speaking of trying to sell stuff, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles.
0: Yeah, this is a little further down that list because you got to buy extra accessories that were right. video game systems in and of themselves, and that's
1: and I did asking
0: for some dough. I did too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just uh, to play I, this game. Yeah, just to play this game, but with my friends was part of the point. My roommates in college, with whom I still play D and D, who I've mentioned a couple times before, they weren't really into Final Fantasy. I talked about uh, one of my roommates who played Final Fantasy two II and three with me on those emulators, and he tried to toad. Emperor Matthias of Palamecia. But other than that, playing 1, 2, and 3, he didn't really have much of an experience. Uh, And his girlfriend, my other roommate, she didn't have any experience with Final Fantasy either. So I wanted to at least try to show them part of this thing that I loved. So I bought the Game Boys, I bought the Connectors, I bought the game, and we played Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles together, and we had a blast. I think it is a good game. I do think the extra... Buying the peripherals that aren't really peripherals that are other game consoles was pretty obnoxious. And I'm not. I don't really know much about the expanded universe of Crystal Chronicles. I've only played that one game. I haven't played the other one where you teleported around as that other dude. Uh, and I haven't played, like, Echoes of Time and, and that stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, I haven't either. And this is one of those places where I have been cynical about the expanded stuff because i think i just did not get into the original for cynical reasons as well i didn't have anyone to play it with and i just couldn't really get into it that much and so it's one of those things that crystal chronicles but that's where i think you've got to be able to arrive at the conclusion of like incomplete or no score i wouldn't feel confident in saying, well, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles sucks, because I only played the first 10% of it, and just because I didn't get into it doesn't mean it's not good. Another one of my favorite buzzwords, when people are reviewing something, if they say that it's boring, that's usually when I move on to the next review, because boring suggest to me you weren't paying attention or they'll even oftentimes say I was thinking the entire movie about how could this actor have got himself into this terrible film or I couldn't help (laughs) but notice this going on in the theater it's like well then you weren't paying attention you weren't looking for theme or character development or a comment about society you were too busy thinking about something else and so I don't want to be guilty of that to me Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles was one of the rare instances in this series where I would maybe use the word boring. It just didn't catch me, but that doesn't mean it wasn't good. Boring is 100% sure. subjective, and the people who actually did bother to experience it are the ones who get to evaluate it.
1: <laughs> well, and it, it, I think it is possible to to go in with good intentions to find that this movie or this game doesn't strike you, to stop halfway through. But then maybe don't review the thing. Yeah. Like don't yeah. don't try to talk about it with any sort of authority. Or or maybe if, if you're expected to write the review because you are a reviewer as a as a profession, maybe start with this one just didn't grab me. Here's what I noticed, here's what I liked, here's what I didn't like. You know, your mileage may vary, but this one just didn't strike me.
0: Yeah, you know, because I would love to, as a baseball writer, when it's 10 to 1 in the seventh inning, just write, "Okay, game over and leave the ballpark and not just sit there and wait for the rest of it to end. But I can't do that. I can't just check out on what's happening. And for some reason, people who review video games or TV shows or movies seem to think that it's like a strength of their review to be like, I stopped paying attention halfway through. I'm like, that's not that. (laughs) That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. You should maybe
1: look for another job.
0: Yeah. If you're being paid to be there, pay attention the whole time so that you can accurately use the text to describe why it didn't right. work.
1: If nothing else, those 10 to 1 ball games have the potential to turn around, and movies and games do also. And then that can be right. something you can write about. You know, the first third was slow and uninteresting, but uh, in the last act, it really picked up and. And I enjoyed myself. That gives you something to write about.
0: Exactly. So, I think we covered a lot of what we had to say about Final Fantasy X two pretty well. Mm -hmm. It was the first direct sequel game to game in the franchise, and it also was one of the first to heavily feature gunplay. Like, it took a lot of risks. It took a lot of different directions for the series. And and that's another word I'm glad I, I just brought up because it's something that needs to be a part of this conversation. Risks. Cynics are naturally averse to risk-taking because yes, they're they not going to know what to do with a new thing. And Final Fantasy X-2 got a lot of that. Like I said, I still ultimately fell down on the side of it not being quite as good as some of the other stuff, but it was absolutely a worthy entry in the franchise, there's some really great stuff that we'll talk about when we get around to doing that game in particular. The sequel that I did not play was Final Fantasy 12 Revenant Wings, and actually, neither one of us played either the Final Fantasy 4 The After Years, so we can't speak Oh, yeah,
1: I forgot, didn't even think to the to talk quality about that of one. those. Pre- yeah,
0: I know, right? I was, uh, I was glad as I was looking at our list that I remembered that well, because those are ones we've missed. Mostly because as adults, we've had a lot less time to play video games.
1: Right. Less time, less money. The The After Years, since the next game we're going to do episodes about is Final Fantasy IV. I think we can talk about the After Years and, and its quality or its worthiness at that point.
0: Right. So I think really the thing to do now is jump into the way Final Fantasy XV has been produced and released. Because this is the fight right now. Among Final Fantasy people, there is a love-hate thing going on with 15. My observation has shown and I'd like to thank the people at Final Fantasy Union for doing a fantastic YouTube video about whether or not these games are overrated or underrated in breaking down some statistics that showed people who are new to the Final Fantasy franchise overwhelmingly loved 15. The people who are very critical of it Tend to be longtime lovers of the series. That, of course, puts us in the middle, but well, what seems to be the recurring theme over and over again to me is they don't like, again, as we've talked about, you have to watch a movie, you have to watch an anime you don't show have to watch of a number the of movie. episodes. You don't have to, I know, but it's. Suggested that you do. There is an expanded universe. And now there are episodes that fill in the rest of the story. Full disclosure, again, that jobs and money thing. By the time we get there, we will have played the extra episodes, but we have not done the episode Ignis or Prompto or any of that stuff, or Gladiolus even, yet. But the general criticism is they released an incomplete product with the promise to patch it later... And with the suggestion that there was enough story there because it's filled in with an anime and a movie,
1: all right, what a bunch of weenies look, you don't <laughs> first of all, you don't have to watch the movie or the anime. I did I did both, and I played the little uh prequel with uh where Carbuncle shows Noctis around his dream world, Yep. and I enjoyed all of it, but you don't have to do that. I feel like Kingsglave is the opening sequence to Final Fantasy 15, in the same way that seeing Aerith look into the live stream as the opening sequence to Final Fantasy 7, They just decided they didn't want to have you sit through an hour and a half opening sequence before playing the game. So it was sort of extra, it was added on. And furthermore, the complaint about it wasn't complete because now there are new chapters or because producer so-and-so said whatever is nonsensical to me in a world where that's what games do now. Almost yeah. every game that comes out will have downloadable content or microtransactions or extra things that you can do to get more later. I don't especially, having grown up in the 80s and 90s, I don't especially like that. I would like to buy my game and have my game and be, have it be on a cartridge and play it with you know controllers with wires on them. But yeah. that's me understanding my own nostalgic bias. I think that Final Fantasy XV is a complete story. It's got a beginning, a middle, and end. It foreshadows its ending. It has character growth throughout. It has character arcs where characters grow and learn and change. There's there's a deep theme of what it means to be born into who you are and, and trying to make an, an understanding of that and making it your own and you know, communing with giant dragon spirits. I may be getting a bit off the rails, but my point is that as a game, it's got a set of mechanics, it's got a story, and both of those things work. So just because there are extra things that you can also do doesn't mean the game itself was incomplete. And even if it did, even if Final Fantasy 15 is by whatever de- definition you want to provide incomplete, that doesn't make it bad or unworthy, it was still a fantastic game.
0: Yeah, I am loathe to frame art in capitalist terms. However, I really feel (laughs) like if you're trying to provide a bright line, back to our distinction between objective and subjective, you paid $60 for it. Did you get $60 worth of entertainment or... Challenge or inspiration, whatever it is you were looking for. And of course, a lot of those people are going to say, well, no, because I was looking for a complete experience and no, but again, oh, but that's what such is a
1: reductive, that's, that's
0: circular course, logic. It, it wasn't complete because, oh God, whatever. Sorry. Right. Please continue. So <laughs> I know, I know I'm, I'm frustrated by it as well, but I think ultimately, and again, I hate doing it this way, but I got way more than my $60 worth out of that game, and yeah, a lot of it didn't come from the plot, though I absolutely adored the characters and the story and the plot and the it themes, yeah. but I spent a lot of the time doing other stuff. Ultimately, oh, it felt sure. like I got my money's worth. You're going the on your shopping list adventures. Right. So when yeah. I do end up playing the other episodes, it's not going to be, well... Did this have to be in the story before and it it makes me, is it worth the five bucks I'm going to pay to play it? That's that's all it really comes down to. Same thing with Kingsglaive. Was it worth the extra money you paid to watch it? This idea that there's some perfect way to produce and then deliver a piece of artwork and that it should all be in one thing. And I would challenge anybody, you know, to look at episodic content in a completely different way to use this. Methodology of just, yeah, okay, it's a bummer that in order to fully understand the new Avengers movie, there's going to have to be about 10 movies you've already seen, each of which cost you seven to 12 bucks to go to the movie theater and watch. But if each one of them was a $20 experience, then what exactly is your complaint?
1: And at this point, it shouldn't even be about the money. It's not a cash grab because. I'm sure you got a buddy who's got a copy. I'm sure you could, if you are nefarious, find a nefarious way to watch it online. If you want to avoid the cash part of the cash grab, there are ways to do it. If you just want to complain about a product or a piece of entertainment or a piece of art because you like to complain,
0: find somewhere else to do it. Yeah, yeah, right, it's just not not a critique of the thing. You're not making a comment right. about a video game or a movie or a television show or a piece of music. You're making a comment about a marketing department. Right. And, and there, who cares? there might
1: be a good complaint to be made about our society and how it commercializes art. I that think might, so. That might be a fun conversation to have. But to say that Infinity War isn't going to be any good because I haven't seen Ragnarok and I don't want to have to spend the extra. However much it costs to go to a movie and buy popcorn and whatnot, well that that's a poor argument. Yeah. There are a few more Final Fantasy entries we want to talk about with regards to cynicism versus cash grab versus analysis versus whatever the title of this episode is and they are world of final fantasy all the bravest and brave Exvius. i have played world of final fantasy and i was initially skeptical it looked like much in the same way i was initially skeptical about kingdom hearts though that first trailer did blow me away and, and made me ready to play it but i was initially skeptical of world of final fantasy because it looks like a nostalgic cash grab Even so, I bought it, I played it, I dug it. So I went in with potential cynicism, I investigated, I decided, no, they did a good job. And that's largely based upon the interaction between our two main characters, the brother and sister, and their interactions with the various Final Fantasy characters, the various summons, uh, and the various original characters. So I think it succeeds in much the same way Kingdom Hearts succeeds. It pulls in all these different, even plot points, It pulls in themes, characters, various plot points, music, visual cues, even certain mechanics from other Final Fantasies, and it melds them in such a way as to tell an interesting story and perhaps further the idea that Final Fantasy, the the separate Final Fantasy worlds, are in certain ways connected. Also, their version of Zone Eater is wildly weird.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing I have to add is actually an observation I've made before, so a lot of use I am. But it reminds me a lot of, again, and I still haven't seen it, but my understanding of the Lego movie. Is it drawing on nostalgia? Or something I have seen that I absolutely love and adore. So this is a better example. Wreck-It Ralph. It is Yeah, very much drawing on your nostalgia, but it's still awesome and I think you pretty much summed it up there with World of Final Fantasy it's yeah it's a little simplified yeah it's maybe more accessible or even aimed at a younger audience that's okay but at its heart it gets what Final Fantasy is about and I think that's the most important thing is that it understands not the plot structures or how characters are supposed to work or you have to have this thing or that thing or Team based combat, you've got right. to have the thematic elements that make Final Fantasy Final Fantasy.
1: Another way to look at that is we've talked before about how tropes aren't inherently negative. Something like Wreck It Ralph is drawing on that nostalgia, but it's also drawing a lot on a lot of those tropes to help us shortcut to understand this world and these characters. So you don't necessarily have to be a massive gamer to understand Wreck-It Ralph, but if you are, then you're getting a lot more of those shortcuts and you're, you're understanding what's going on and you're understanding the themes and the characters more quickly. And I think that's a good way to trade in on tropes because people are hardwired to understand stories in certain ways. And if you take advantage of that, you can tell a stronger, more nuanced story.
0: There is a style of film and television storytelling in general that I'm particularly fond of, which is when a writer parodies a genre or a set of tropes, as you were just talking about, but also pays homage to them. They're not just doing a satire and pointing out everything that's wrong with that particular genre. They're doing some of that and critiquing it here and there, but they're also putting their own entry into it. I'm particularly a fan of the Hot Fuzz uh, set of films, the Shaun of the Dead and At World's End, all of which are parody slash love letters to... You could also say subsets.
1: something like the Orville or the Incredibles. Or, That's why I was thinking
0: uh, about television was the Orville. Yep, the Incredibles, yeah. great example. Kung Fu Hustle, perhaps. Kung Fu Hustle's a really phenomenal one. So all of those are satirizing a particular thing while at the same time paying a lot of love to it. And while I wouldn't say that World of Final Fantasy is satirizing Final Fantasy, I do think in some ways a lot like those Lego movies do and Lego Batman and whatnot, it's kind of poking fun at how silly yeah. some of the Batman mythos is and World of Final Fantasy kind of pokes fun at some of the mythos, but also wholeheartedly embraces it. And right. that's it, awesome.
1: It certainly takes it from a, a, a little silly, or lighter not silly, but like a lighter, a little more comedic Point of view,
0: right? It's funny. There, there is than that the part. games are.
1: There is that yeah. part about two thirds of the way through that no. we're not going to talk about right now.
0: No.
1: Okay. The next two, all the bravest and brave Exvious, I think are all the bravest. I think is a clear cash grab. I think it is an attempt to cash in on nostalgia with a game that is barely a game that with so many microtransactions that it's. It's not just cynical, I think it's predatory. I think it is an attempt to build people of money because they really want Cloud or whomever they especially adore in Final Fantasy. It's... The the, the only mechanics of the game are you're supposed to tap at the screen and then your characters attack automatically. You can just swipe your finger up and down the screen and it will do it all. And there's really nothing else to it. It's that and buying the characters. And it's... Whoever made this so-called game should be ashamed of themselves and should find something else to do with their lives.
0: So there you go. We are not immune to recognizing when this stuff goes that direction. Couldn't have said it better myself. I will add that as, again, open-minded as I am about everything they're doing with Final Fantasy 15, and I love that they're taking risks and how they put their stuff out there and that they're allowing for it to be experienced in all different kinds of ways. Even different art styles, like seeing the characters rendered into the anime I think is cool. But, um... I can't remember the name of it. It's not worth remembering. Stupid cash grab games that there are all kinds of them on the cell phones. I think maybe it's called Kingdoms. I can't remember what. They've got those commercials that make it look awesome. And it's one of those games that's just boring and designed to be a time suck that requires you to pay money to make it so that you can build your virtual little kingdom faster and faster. And if you're away from it for a day, someone who plays more often will come and blow all your stuff up. And It's just... Such a crap way to build a game. There are lots of games that are built on that premise. I don't like any of them. It's a bummer that Final Fantasy got in on that market.
1: It's really more like playing a slot machine without any sort of payout and no free drinks.
0: (laughs) Right, right, exactly. The one thing I will say is most of those games it's possible if you just want to devote a ton of time to not spend any money. You don't have to. It's just constantly suggested that you do.
1: Well, that's a little more Brave Exvius than a lot. All the Bravest, like you really, you can't do anything else. You have to spend money. And even if you spent, say, let's go back to the, did you get your $60 worth? $60 worth in All the Bravest barely gets you anything. And it's still not a good game to play. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty bad. Brave Exvius, on the other hand, it does follow that similar pattern. Like you have a certain amount of energy and you can only do so much per play uh, because it costs a certain amount of energy, and the, the more you get into the game, the further you get in, the more energy it costs to get into dungeons. And But then you can spend money to get more energy, or you can spend money to get more, basically like booster packs to see if you can get these other Final Fantasy characters. And so from that point of view, I, do, I find it as a cynical cash grab in that it's a pay-to-win kind of game. However, I did play about half this game, and I didn't pay anything for it. I I had to wait those however many hours for my energy to fill up. I only got characters, you know, my booster packs when I earned them through dungeons. And you can earn the booster packs, unlike with all the bravest (coughs) where you have to, like, buy everything. And it is, it's not especially compelling, but it is interesting. There are, it's got its own characters, whose names I can't recall off the top of my head. They do go on this adventure, and then they are receiving help from you know, heroes from beyond. And some of them are original characters, but most of them are the heroes from the various numbered series. You know, I had Goliath from Five, and he was really powerful, actually. And I had Terra, and I had Locke, and I had Shadow, and I had... God, who did I have from Seven? I can't recall. But but the point is that there's a real game there, there's a real story there, there's a real experience there, but it, it does still want you to pay more than you would pay for a game like that, uh, which I don't especially like. You don't have to, it just makes it a lot harder. It locks you out of the game after a while until your energy fills back up. And I don't like, that strikes me as a very cynical type of game, and I don't like that.
0: Yeah, it's something that very famously Battlefront 2, the Star Wars game, got in a lot of trouble for making it very difficult for you to earn certain kinds of upgrades, which make you way better in like actual battle against other people online. You're at a distinct disadvantage unless you spend a bunch of real-world money. And they got in a lot of hot water for that. I think we've even mentioned that on this podcast before. But yeah, that's just a level too far. I think it's it really is... One thing to ask people to pay for different entries in episodic content, and a completely different thing to ask them to pay money just to be able to conclude your content. Because, like we were talking about, the whole problem with cynicism is contempt prior to investigation. And when you put a barrier between your audience and their ability to investigate, They're not going to be able to, that's just a naturally cynical thing to do, to say, no, you have to pay to see whether or not this is really fully worth your time even more from here on out. So I don't like that. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I think those are just very different things. Expansions. there's chocobo dungeons and chocobo racing i played a game called record keeper for a little while there's a bunch of that i think the official total is 55 games we're not going to be able to talk about all of them those were the ones we wanted to single out a bit but to us there's not enough just because there are a <laughs> lot <laughs> doesn't mean that there uh. can't be more we know the final fantasy 7 remake is coming we've seen these hd remasters with 10 and 12, and all of this kind of stuff, and them adding the the job system into 12. But we talked about the sequels that are newer, the after years. But what would we like to see? Let's get a little creative ourselves here and talk about some expanded universe stuff that we would like to see. And I want to start by surprising you with one that I thought of while I was listening to and editing the Summons podcast which is that we talk about the Espers or the Aeons or the Eidolons, and it's long been a question we've talked about is where do they come from? In Final Fantasies 4 and 6, it's actually made explicit mm-hmm. where they right. come from. There is a world of monsters. I would love to see a video game on modern tech that is an original Final Fantasy, but not a numbered entry, and I've roughly titled this oh. The World of of Espers, final fantasy world of Espers, something that tells a story about what these monsters and, or deities and, or just enhanced people are doing when they're not being summoned by Yuna and Iko and these type of people.
1: Wow. Okay. Huh? Well, my first thought when you bring that up is that this would give us another way to connect various final fantasies. In the same way that some people have suggested the life stream flows through all the worlds and through all the games, that maybe the hell Emperor Mateus of Palamecia unleashes upon his world is the same netherverse that we see in some of the other games, maybe this too, maybe there are, as there is in World of Final Fantasy, maybe there's multiple versions of Shiva, maybe it's almost like a class, you know, you're, you're an Ifrit class monster or a Leviathan class monster. And then, yeah, that could be a lot of fun. You could choose your characters and their various classes, or maybe they would level up into becoming an Ifrit. <laughs> and then maybe sometimes they get pulled from their world to whatever world a summoner needs help with. Yeah. And maybe they could object to being summoned, or, you know, I don't want to fight for that guy because that's the guy who, who's trying to subjugate a world and I'd rather be summoned by the heroes... Hmm.
0: yeah and you know another way i thought about this potentially working is that you have a set of different heroes all with their own story arcs and the conclusion of which is like you were kind of talking about they become whichever summon and that once yeah, you do that yeah. it's agreed upon that now whenever called upon by the warriors of light i will fulfill x duty because i have become the next ifrit or whatever it <laughs> may be um I also think there's a way you could do it in a Kingdom Hearts style of thing where there are different worlds where different kinds of espers or eidolons. So espers are actually different things from eidolons that are different things from aeons, And maybe there are multiple versions of the ones kind of like in, in Kingdom Hearts, a bit of world mashing together. There are multiple versions or something like that. But I think there's a lot of interest to be had in exploring just a world of Final Fantasy summon monsters.
1: Something that I have often thought about as I'm lying awake in bed unable to sleep is (laughs) I I think it would be a neat idea to connect Final Fantasies 1, 2, and 3 somehow. And I don't know exactly how I want to do it. I would go back and forth on on different ways of doing it. But perhaps they all take place on the same world. And and I think we're going to try to dedicate an episode later on to talking about the multiverse and how maybe yeah. all these games are connected. But I think Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3 are similar enough that in in their their sort of world-ending cataclysmic events, you've got the the time loop could lead into the, the opening of the gates of hell could lead into the destruction of the world and floating continents and whatnot. And I just think it would be really interesting to find a way to connect them. Either historically one follows the other or maybe they are alternate versions of each other and, and find a way to connect these games thematically and, and plot wise almost in a world of Final Fantasy fashion where you're, you're sort of crossing them over but I don't know what do you think am I am I going off the deep end here
0: no I think this is absolutely <laughs> awesome and I want to see it my only question for you is let's and now let's totally free ourselves from the shackles of cynicism and this is why this is awesome and talk about whether or not this Final Fantasy 1 through 3 that would have its own subtitle that we haven't thought of yet would be a video game or something else. Would you release this as a film or a television show? What do you think is the best vehicle to tell the stories of the combined universes of the first three entries in the series?
1: Because The light warriors of Final Fantasies 1 and 3, at least originally, are blank slates, I think it makes it harder to do a show or movie about them. If we were to take the remake characters of 3, Luneth and them, they would definitely need to be fleshed out, as would, to be fair, the characters of Final Fantasy 2, but that still leaves you with blank slates for Final Fantasy 1. On the other hand, I think this story could be told as much about the world as about the characters. Yeah. So, my initial inclination is to make it a game, because I love playing these games. If I were to do it as a film, or as a set of films, or a, a serialized television show, it would be... I think I would probably start with two, and leave the heroes of Final Fantasy I as faceless historical figures. Yep. So, so then all of all the things that happened in Final Fantasy I would still have happened. But we wouldn't know because of the time loop. And then we would slowly start to learn because of the breakdown of the world thanks to the Emperor. And then maybe the Emperor has some connection to Doga and Unai and Zand. And then maybe... So my initial inclination to answer your question without making this episode way longer than it needs to be is to say make it a game. And then have them recognize each other and reference each other and and learn about each other, and then maybe have a big cross-dimensional boss fight at the
0: end. Would you do a three D game, modern graphics, PS Four, Xbox One, or uh, like a PlayStation Network two D in the old styles type of game? Again, my inclination
1: is to go two D old style. It is it, it's trading in on nostalgia, but as I think that also helps understand what's strong about something like this is it's reminding people of hey remember when you were a kid and right. I think trying not to get too far away from that would be best if it's a game if it's going to be a, a show or a movie I'd want to go the animated route get studios that put together stuff like The Last Airbender or you know something like Studio Ghibli and just make it gorgeous because I think there are a lot of sort of cynical cheap ways to do anime too that most anime studios are shying away from these days, but back in the 90s, you would see the same scene from Dragon Ball Z play out over and over again, just yeah. with new dialogue recorded over it. So I would want to avoid that. Yeah, I... Mm,
0: but we sound like in with charge, Castlevania, the way that... Right, I think some of those exactly. guys worked on Last Airbender as well, that that's the kind of creativity you would want brought to a project like that.
1: Right. I don't think we've got time to like try to totally outline my Final Fantasies 1-3 through subtitled To Be Determined Later animated opus.
0: If people really want us to outline that and maybe even write it loosely, let us know and we'll put some time into it. If not, we're not going to do it right now. Because we might a little bit with the last one in our next subset. I think it's fair to take these three because of their technological similarities. I mean, being on the Super Nintendo. 4, 5 and 6 I think are all still ripe for remake and adaptation. Now 4 has been remade. These characters have been rendered into 3D, quite frankly, I we've talked about this before, didn't like the way that they looked, similarly to in Final Fantasy 3. 5 and 6, however, have not been rendered into 3D and I would very much like to see that. They've had shinier 2d versions of them that i think mostly work pretty darn well but a full-on the same way they're going with final fantasy 7 style remake of final fantasy 6 would make me beyond happy (laughs) i don't know what the word is i agree deliriously happy yeah that would be insane that being said i'm not even sure if i would prefer that to Final Fantasy VI being made into an episodic television show, either live action or (laughs) animated. There's so much potential there. I say do both, but for all of these, I think, you know, I think five would make a great animated 10 to 20 episode series. That would be
1: a fun series to watch. Yeah. That's just a fun story in general. And things get grim here and there, but that is in the same way that Final Fantasy Three is sort of this let's go on an adventure and explore the world, Final Fantasy V does a lot of that too. And I think that would be a lot of fun to watch.
0: If four and six were both animated, they'd have to draw at times more on like we were talking about that Castlevania sensitivity. Yeah. And they're so
1: expansive it would be difficult to do because characters go here and there and not everybody's present all the time. I don't know.
0: it, It could be very, very difficult, but I have seen seven seasons of Game of Thrones. Yes, you have. And if they can do that, if those guys got their hands on Final Fantasy VI and gave it the time and space it needed to do everything and did three or four seasons of an HBO budget live action with the right kind of writing and it's well cast and the effects look great and you tell that story in a similar style because there's enough reality in six and i think you could do it with four as well you you're you'd need your big budget for the fourth season when you go to the moon in your whale boat right and stuff gets real weird and same thing with six once you're going up that tower of chaos and yeah that six
1: is mostly pretty grounded you're not i mean there's the dream world sequence there's the phantom train sequence
0: you're gonna have to spend but some money on blowing the world up that's gonna yeah, be an expensive breaking the scene world. and honestly casting i think the most important thing about that is just get great actors to play tara and edgar and Locke and sabin and cyan and bring those characters to life on the screen the way they do in Game of Thrones, where you can get away with spending your budget on 10 minutes of a crazy intense action sequence at the end of the episode, and most of the time it's been actors sitting in the dark or standing in the room and talking. It'd be phenomenal for both of those games. I, I really could see, and again, if you could cast the right people to play Cecil and Kane and Rosa... And play that out on television. Would people, yeah. people would eat that up. People who are new who've never seen it before, if presented well in live action, that could be really, really good. And yeah, we again I'll just I'll go ahead and leave it at that and say we have put thought into yeah. who we would cast and how we would <laughs> we split up like and week. write Final Fantasy Six. Oh my uh, gosh. And if you'd what like parts to hear that conversation, in, yeah. The
1: parts we would take out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you'd like to really hear us get in depth on this stuff, we can return to this conversation in the future. Let us know. But let's move on to our next grouping because this is a tougher situation. Final Fantasies, I, I did actually 7 through 12, and they're not all in the mm-hmm. exact same category. But now that 7 more or less has been updated, we've seen what all these characters look like. Uh, right. Although we're still anticipating like, then it's going to look better than it did in Advent Children. But still, we've seen them in Advent Children. We right. mostly right. get it. We know what these yeah. characters are going to mm. look like. Seven's being remade with all high hopes that it's good, and it's got its movies. I think there's been enough with Seven that once the remake comes out, we're good.
1: It, well, so if the Final Fantasy Seven remake comes out and people enjoy it, I would not be at all surprised to see them go 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, or at least 8, 9, 10. Oh, but they remastered 10 and ten two, so maybe just 8 and 9. I would think so, yeah. Seeing Squall in them in in a remade game, I think, would be a lot of fun. I think 9 is just fun all over. I don't know if they would go all the way to 10 and 12.
0: Yeah, I would think they would leave those ones out, and I think that's why it's a slightly more difficult category. But, again, I think that's why, rather than maybe remake 10 or 12 into a newer game I really don't think they need that. I think those games right. are perfect how they are.
1: Maybe perfect in 10 years.
0: Yeah. Uh, but for now, I would love to see those stories brought to new audiences right. in television or film.
1: And I so so we talk about maybe doing a a show or film adaptation of some of these, but a lot of the fun in them for me is playing the game and playing with the mechanics and and choosing which party to take to which thing so certainly i'm not against the idea i think it would be a lot of fun at least as a thought experiment but i think for for most people who enjoy the games they enjoy them because they're games and we've talked before about how a game has an added dimension compared to a book or a movie in that you have some control you have some you are the hand of fate you are deciding whether or not to continue this adventure at all maybe You don't want to kill all those Colossi, but maybe, you know, maybe you do want to take Cyan up the last battle or whatever. So I love the idea from a thought experiment point of view, but if I were Squeenix, I would be focusing on games and maybe thinking about side stories for animated or live action adaptations.
0: So my counter to that would be something you said earlier, which is, well, yes, maybe the absolute purest, best way to experience these games is to play them as video games. And I would 100% agree with that. But as a fan, again, of Game of Thrones, who's only read a bit of the first book, I would say that's secondary to... The idea of opening up these characters, these themes, the stuff that isn't seen anywhere else, I think that's what's made Game of Thrones so successful. It's fresh to people who've never experienced stuff like it. And I think if you took Final Fantasy and opened it up to people who don't play video games, I oftentimes think about our own mother in this regard, somebody who's <laughs> never going to pick up a video uh-huh. game controller uh-huh. and play it beginning to end, but who I know would absolutely get a kick out of a lot of the stuff that's inside of these games. And so I think, with that in mind, there's a lot to be had there in making 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, 15. Into, well, 15's got its movies. We could show Mom's King. Right. We right. could show Mom King's Slave, and we probably should. And I think she would enjoy it quite a bit. But I think if you went through the trouble of, like I said, Game of Thronesing some of these into. Series. I don't think you could do it in a movie unless you wanted to do like 10 movies, Marvel style. But right, I, if you're I think, willing to get episodic and put yeah. some time into it, I think a whole new audience of people could get into the stories of Cloud and Tifa and Eris or Squall and Renoa, or Zidane and Kuja or Titus and Yuna because... They're really intriguing and engaging stories that some people are never going to experience just because they're not going to pick up a video game controller. And I don't think that that makes them bad people or that the answer to that is just, well, (laughs) shucks, then you don't get to, you know, the same way. I don't think I'm a bad person because I don't have time to read all of the Game of Thrones books, but I do have time to watch the TV show. It's just a different way of going about it and it's probably not the purest experience there's probably you know reading the books would probably be better but having the show is better than not having the show <laughs> fair enough so so from that point of view yeah we should
1: totally convince hbo to hire us to plot out their final fantasy VI television show
0: so what do you think would actually subtitle? yeah we'd have to come up with a better subtitle but what do you think would actually be the most successful? If you were going to bank it all, you said, look, we've got an idea. We're going to go pitch HBO. We've, we've adapted it. We've done this. We've written it all up. Mm-hmm. Which one do we think has the most possibility to succeed with a crossover audience? I'll give you my answer at first, and then I'll let you go, but I actually think it's Final Fantasy Tactics story.
1: Okay. It, it's so much like Game of Thrones. I think people are already primed for that, so I think you might It might, might be right. have that problem i don't know that that's a problem i think people are primed for it you know oh war of the lions is the new game of thrones or whatever sure
0: could yeah you're right actually could totally fulfill that you know gap once game of thrones goes away it's similar but i think it's different enough that people could get into it yeah
1: uh and the magic doesn't really come around for a while like getting into the demons and stuff yeah so again it would draw people in with being a little more grounded And then in spring, the the saints are actually demons and these church people are transforming and whatnot.
0: Yeah, that all all comes a bit later. But yeah, I think it would help people to be grounded. You're not asking for this huge departure. Some of this Final Fantasy stuff can be, you know, we've talked about counterintuitive. So I think you start with that and you get people in on that level and then you can open up and... I mean, if I was just going for the one that I think has the most potential to be super awesome, it would be six. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason also that seven is as popular as it is. And if you could do a live action HBO version of that, that was legitimately good. You'd be again with that story printing money. But I think the same potential is there for eight and 9 and 10 if done well, but I would probably start with tactics, then go to 6 because they're deserving of that particular kind of attention.
1: I think my answer would be 6. I think tactics is great, but I also think it's missing some of the small interpersonal relationships that makes Game of Thrones so compelling and that would make 6 so compelling. When they're at the cadet school and it's Ramza and Delita and his sister, whose name is teacher. Yes. Uh, and all of that I think is extraordinarily good, but it's difficult. Some of the later stuff when princess Ovelia is maybe not re- really princess Ovelia and she and Delita are having their stuff. Some of that feels a little more removed. Some of the politics, the, the, the gaming politics, Uh, between the Bealoov family and the the families of the various lions and some of that, again, feels removed from what Ramza and them are doing. So you would really have to make an effort to connect to some of these other characters who I don't connect to as strongly in Tactics, whereas in Final Fantasy VI, I connect to everybody in that game. And I think that's its greatest strength. Uh, And then it propels all the things that happen. Uh, You know, I'm immediately in love with terra because i i connect to her plight and then to Locke because he's there to rescue her and even just the Mughals who show up because they know that the empire is wrong so if it were me i would go with six because i think we can make a personal connection to a wide group of characters which allows the characters to connect with a wide audience
0: yeah well hard to argue with any of that uh, <laughs> So I win? Did I win? Yeah, right. And see you win. But yeah, you're right. I mean, even thinking about the mechanics of it, I know some of the things people get frustrated with, not me, but people with Game of Thrones is like when one episode happens to focus more on characters that they're less interested in. And I know that tends to happen, but with Final Fantasy VI, you're like, yeah, this one episode is just Locke sneaking into South Figaro, but... It's okay because he's such a cool character and this one gets to be a little different and stealthy. Maybe you film it in a film noir style and at the end of it you get to meet Celeste, you know. And who's going to complain about having a couple of episodes where it's just Sabin and Cyan and then meeting Gao and that whole thing with the mystery forest and the train and the... Oh God, I want to make this into a show so bad. And there's one other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up this whole long conversation, and that is somebody we've connected with a little bit on Twitter again, but Mr. MJ Gallagher, who is doing a Final Fantasy VII Novelization, and I ah, absolutely yes, love yes, the yes. idea again for that reason that you get to open up these stories to people who aren't going to be able to get enjoyment out of the video game aspect of it. But there's certainly more to these games than just that, and so I think I applaud their efforts. I think it's a fantastically written. A novelization. I'd love to see more of that kind of stuff. I'd love to see Square Enix even just put an official stamp on that thing and put it out there en masse. But the more these stories get around, the better, in, in my opinion. And so I'm all for live action or animated series adaptations, more remakes. And as we've talked about, to get back to the heart of the whole conversation, really the bottom line is if they're done well, Right. That's the only point. If it's done well, more of a good thing is not a problem. The ultimate irony of cynicism to me has always been that cynics abhor those who use their feelings as their primary source of information, but then almost always end up making unevidenced claims. This happened very recently with Justice League, when a number of people who were so cynical about Zack Snyder assumed that some of their favorite scenes in the movie, the only quote good ones, had to have been directed by Joss Whedon, who took over the project later. And then it turned out that that wasn't true. And so you end up acting like you're being on the side of objective fact and you're making unevidenced, circumstantial, but absolutely not concrete claims. What's funny too about that is that ends up leading ultimately to tribalism, which is what cynics claim to be trying to avoid. You don't want to look like a fanboy. You don't want to be a mark. But just often as not, it ends up working like counterculturalism. You end up defining yourself by being somebody who is against what other people are for, and then you end up arriving at really condescending and negative conclusions about Large swaths of people. And because we feel, because we were raised by Final Fantasy and we think it is inherent in its themes, we have to stand completely opposed to that idea. So that's why we did two episodes. We appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us through all of that. But why we think it was really important to address that, because it's also at the heart of what this series is about uh, a willingness to put ourselves aside and take a new look, a different look at the way the world could be. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at FFweeklyPod, Pod, or you can email us at FinalFantasyWeekly at gmail.com. Join us next time when we steal a crystal, question his majesty, and climb Mount Ordeals.